Hey team. Hello. Katie. I'm good, thanks. Just here, you know. Um, I want to be British and discuss the weather, but I feel like she's going to not let me discuss the weather. But I feel like, (laughs) you know, we had thunder and lightning today before she cuts me off. We had thunder and lightning today. And hailstones. And And hailstones. And we had sun. It's It's been a psychotic day. But... I don't think that's why people are here, are they? <laughs> no. You are now listening to the Unpretty podcast where we explore perceptions of beauty through the lens of black and non-black people of colour. So, today's news, Auntie Naomi has had a baby, which I think is amazing. Yeah, I think it's actually amazing. I'm so happy. Like I saw it and my heart like did a little flutter. It- Lovely, I think honestly, I just love the fact that in this day and age, you don't need to be in a relationship or need to get married or whatever. Obviously, mm. from anyone that does believe in that, it's amazing. But she did it in true Naomi fashion, right? She was like, "Screw this game, I'm gonna have a kid, and I'm gonna have a girl, and I'm gonna make a mini Naomi." Like, imagine, mm-hmm. imagine a mini, mini Naomi. Naomi. Oh, oh god, I'm ready for it. I mean, I, mean, I miss this news, but. I've caught up very, very quickly. And my Mm. overall conclusion is that people on the internet need to learn to mind their own business. True. Because I think there was a lot of speculation because it was like, she wasn't pregnant. No one saw her pregnant. How she had a baby. And really, in this day and age, you can have a baby in a lot of ways. It's 2021. I think we know how advanced things are. It is. I'm on that train with you, Kate's. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's okay for people to speculate because I think that's the internet and that's the space. Not that it's okay, but I'm not surprised. People speculated. Yeah, we all have these conversations in private spaces, but Mm, this whole mm -hmm. like jumping in the comments, like God knows what DMs Naomi's receiving. I mean, I doubt that Auntie checks her DMs, but you know, (laughs) people need to mind their business. I hear you. Indeed. It's, it's a way and a key way to live your life. Mind your business. Mind your, your business. Water, have good skincare. SPF. Mm-hmm. Mind your business. I do. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Speaking of good skincare, I just have to do a quick plug. I know that we um, have started shouting out a few products that we're wearing at the moment. And mm-hmm. today I'm wearing the Il Maquillage I Woke Up Like This Foundation. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, I'm not even going to spend time telling the full story. People just need to check it out. You do a quiz online about talk about your skin type, your skin tone, your undertones, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They color match you. You receive it. It bangs. And today I use the tiniest, tiniest amount. And <laughs> hey, honestly, what's the price point of it? It's like thirty-six pounds, I think. Okay, it is. Okay, so it's I know for a fact it's thirty-six pounds. Yeah, yeah. but. I just think when it comes to foundation, you just have to spend. I'm not saying spend 50 quid, but. I hear you. I'm going to give it a shot because you have been plugging this for a while and I still haven't jumped in. And their lipsticks yeah. that we got when we did the trial of lipsticks and lip glosses, it was pretty, pretty great. Yeah. So um, I'm going to try I'll the jump concealer. In for sure. Um, I would say a product which I have religiously been using since I got it um, is my Sunday Riley oil which I've never ever ever found oil like that Sunday Riley oil which is just like so 
it it literally stays on your skin. It's not the kind of slippery oil that falls between your fingers. It just stays and it's juicy and I love it. And I always wake up being like, oh, I feel so good from this oil. So my rec of the week would definitely be get that Sunday Riley. Well, after Sir John's talk about under the eyes, I've just been asking people, what should I use? What should I use? So I'm on a little journey to figure out what eye creams and what things I need to use to, you know, make the eyes pop and to get these dark circles away. But Mm -hmm. my first task is to take iron tablets. Take iron tablets and go outside. Because I've been in this house for 14 (laughs) months, basically. So good old vitamin D. A good old vitamin D and a boost of iron. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to see how that goes for now. Bad idea, babes. And then buy that concealer from Il Maquillage. So this week, what's going? Unfortunately, Baz wasn't able to join us, so Kadeen no, took over. Mm-hmm. We were talking about casting, the world of casting. casting. I was sad not to be there, but I love, love what you guys are going to get into. I actually think that people don't think about casting the way they should. Every commercial you watch, every movie, every drama every billboard every magazine involves someone putting is doing the casting it's actually a really really big industry and i don't think people Mm -hmm. think about it so this should be a very interesting conversation should we get into it yeah let's get into it well let you guys get into it it. (laughs) (laughs) today we have ola christian who is the founder of laville the uk's leading casting agency for diverse talent audiences laville work with some of the top music artists agencies and brands in the uk and globally such as stormzy steph london and jd sports and also joining us we have ray elliman ray is a london-based casting director producer and writer with a decade of experience in fashion and the creative industries she specializes in street and character casting this approach has helped ray to create specialized and authentic work for clients like Calvin Klein, Nike, and Ralph Lauren. Welcome, Hi, both. Hi. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining. So our first question that we always ask our guests is how do you describe yourself ethnically and culturally? And Ola, you can go first. Oh, that's a good question. I would say I'm a British-born Nigerian I am a rather large male, which I have to use to my advantage. <laughs> but I'm super proud of my Nigerian heritage. That's something that I take pride in. And it anchors me in the way that I move in the industry, personally as well. You know, Mr. Jello Rice, you can call me that if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Jalof is in the house. And um, Ray, what about you? I would describe myself as half Chinese, half British and a Londoner. I'm also very proud of my Chinese history and have a sort of tortured relationship with my British history. So we want to talk about how you both entered the world of casting. Did you know that the job existed in the first place and then how did you find yourself entering the space? My story is a bit of a, it's, it's quite common but different at the same time, right? So in terms of entering the world of casting, I used to be an actor. So when I was young, I used to go to auditions for a variety of different projects. And then when I was auditioning, I was realizing when I was going into the room, I was just seeing the same 10 guys. Because there was only maybe 10 tall black guys that would audition mm-hmm. in London for, the, for a certain role. Whether it was Hoodie 1, Hoodie 2, <laughs> whether it was um, this gangster in the film, or whether it was this young rebel, or, or whatever it was. 
when I eventually got an agent, it kind of exposed me further to the, the casting world. And okay, you start to meet casting directors. When I was there, I was just thinking, okay, I would love to audition for someone that looks like me. This was at the back of my head because at the time I was obviously heavily focused on having a career as an actor. I was just thinking, all right, how can I do something to help my peers uh, have a career in the industry? And I was just thinking, there's no platform that I, I can see that actively tries to get actors into roles, whether it's lead roles in music videos, short films, be it online or on TV or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And then I just thought, okay, let me just create a platform where I could just showcase people like myself. So what we started doing was circulating headshots of talent that wasn't seen. And then we started doing monologues. So people started to get seen. And then on Twitter, we went viral. And then from there, people were like, okay, who's this company called Laville, Levile, Level, whatever they want to call it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then um, from there, we just continued to expand, which then led to me realizing I have an amazing network of diverse talent. So all of a sudden, people were coming to me and saying, oh, Ola, we'd love to, to have this person in my project can you help me? And I was just like, okay, yeah, I can do that, no problem. And then it just continued to unfold and opportunities continue to present themselves. And I was just like, okay, do you know what? I'm actually enjoying facilitating talent more than I am being in front of camera. Mm -hmm. So what can I do and how can I define myself in order to, to create a lane and do something different in the industry? So I thought, okay, might as well call myself a, a, a casting director. And, from there, just things just continue to, to, to arrive at, at the doorstep and, you know, opportunities just continue to present themselves and we just continue to help people solve the issue in front and behind of camera. Wow. That's, I mean, I'm almost not surprised to hear that that was your journey as opposed to the traditional route of assisting and working your way up because I think I, I work in the fashion industry and I don't see any people or I rarely see any people of color especially in the casting space um even from a model representation point of view Ray what's your story I actually started I guess by being cast for something so in that sense there's a similarity being in front of the camera at first I was cast when I was I think 14 or 15 street cast to be in a Nike lookbook by then stylist Charmadine Reed, who is now an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And that kind of kickstarted just a sort of working relationship where I basically, along with a friend, kind of interned with her from a really young age. I really didn't feel like connected to school. So I started working for her when I was, yeah, roughly 15. And then wow. over the years, it kind of then transformed into a more traditional experience. Although I didn't really know my trajectory was going in a casting direction, but I was assisting her. We would be street casting people. It was kind of the trend that was like coming around at that time. As we now know, like street casting is, you know, has stuck around in a big way. And there are full agencies that represent ultimately a board of street cast models. And then went on to work at a modeling agency. I was a scout at Models One and then went on to work for casting directors like Nisha Notka and Henry Thomas, who does ARCA, both really great fashion casting directors. I think, to be honest, because of some imposter syndrome, I probably only really felt comfortable calling myself a casting director in the last, like, three years. But, yeah, I am. I'm I'm confident now. (laughs) You are a casting director. 
She yeah, is. She's a sick one as well, man. Come on, let's give her credit. Her work is amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Ola. Um, Ray, why did you decide to go out on your own? That's funny. I've never really thought about it. I think I'm quite specific about the way that I work and the way that I want to work and about the ideals that I want to work with. And I think that working on your own, you have full control over that. You know, if I want to pull out because I don't think that something feels right, then I can. And I think that that is something that I really, I've never really thought about, but actually that I really really value I know Ola you said before that obviously you started uh, Neville out of frustration that there were very few platforms that kind of offered opportunities for people mm-hmm. that look like you either on screen or behind the camera I know when you were talking earlier you mentioned you know the roles that you were going for as an actor were like your typical hoodie one hoodie two or a gangster and for me that kind of connotes like people of color only play certain roles so did you find that that was also like a, a factor behind you creating Laville because you didn't want people of color to just play those kind of typical typecast characters? Yeah, great, great question. And um, I fully agree with you there. I think it's also important for me to say, though, that with casting, I'm a big believer in that casting reflects real life to an extent. So, you know, when when people are, are saying, oh, you know, you can't cast stereotypically, I think sometimes we have to pull back and think, okay, we just want to make this look as authentic as possible and understand the environment, the situation, the the story that we're telling. That's Mm -hmm. also critical to me. It's not just a case of, oh, we just want to expand on the roles. Yes, of course, I want want Black people in lead roles. I want to see Black women in lead roles telling different stories. I want to see Black men telling different stories as well. but we also have to understand, as I said before, if we grew up in London on a council estate, there's going to be a big range of people from different ethnic backgrounds there. And unfortunately, one of those people might be uh, a black male who wears a hoodie and or it might be a Turkish guy who wears a hoodie or it could be a Asian guy who wears a, a hoodie. Mm-hmm. It's not that we have to accept it, but we just have to reflect the truth, which is mm-hmm. a really important element of casting that sometimes people forget there's also the creative side of casting where you want to push the box out and and do something different and I think that's a beautiful beautiful way to cast as well and I think it's more challenging I think you really have to understand what you're doing know the processes the nuances in the stories that you want to tell what do you think great casting is we were kind of reflecting on Bridgerton when we were discussing and planning this episode and it divided opinions with the way that yes the the casting was different and surprising and refreshing from a diversity point of view but then the general storyline kind of lacked the context of the divide in society and how like these people of different races would be unlikely to mix like what are the briefs that you receive and how can you challenge that and and make sure that it is great casting I know that from a fashion point of view and even from a film and tv point of view you guys aren't involved in the script itself but how can casting impact that well I think I mean it's interesting such an interesting point about Bridgerton as well because I think it's just it's very difficult with the amount of erasure that's gone on to understand what those types of like 
periods would really look like you know Mm -hmm. they haven't been portrayed in a way that actually is truthful or representative so you know then also to portray it in like a really idyllic way where it's like everybody is you know completely equal or treated equally is Mm -hmm. is quite um I don't know I think it's it it says something about just kind of like sort of wanting to avoid the truth or or continue essentially to erase that reality but I think when it comes to casting I mean I don't know Ola if you feel this but sometimes I feel that this kind of like diversity in casting I'm sure we both get hundreds of emails and have seen the word diversity written in our emails many 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 times specifically Mm -hmm. now that it's you know trendy Mm -hmm. and I think one of the big issues is that you know casting in some ways can be used as an afterthought if you haven't been thinking about diversity from the get-go yeah and I think it's about asking the questions like you know for example specifically within beauty and beauty is such an enormous industry and moving so quickly and worth so much money and you know, a beauty brand might come to you and they want to have a really diverse cast. They want to have, you know, maybe a bunch of POCs or or all POC because they feel like that is something that will, you know, make them look as though they're going in the right direction. And it's like, you need to think about whether like these people that you want to cast have been thought about in the formulation of this product. Like, Mm -hmm you know, obviously there's the one hand, which is that we need to see more people of colour at every level within every company. But also, like, you know, I've had experiences where it's like, okay, does this skincare product have, like, the level of ceramides, the level of vitamin C that the melanated skin of the model that you want to use would need? Or does this beauty product work on, like, a monolid? and you want an Asian girl, like, you know, you can see when it's an afterthought because there's been no consideration from the beginning, from the mm-hmm. formulation of that product. That's where, when I say that, you know, if I want to pull out of something that I can, it's like, there are moments where you just have to be like, no, like you only want to commodify this body. You don't actually care about this body. And do you challenge that? Or do you have the conversation or do you kind of like, I suppose I'm interested to hear what the how you navigate through that before you get to the stage where you decide to pull out. Um, I do challenge it. I would say that it's in a in kind of a um, I guess a, a attempted polite way. You know, I've definitely written long emails that explain my concerns, and I've waited to find out what the response to that will be before making a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, particularly in the last year I have pulled out of things for reasons like that because I think that sometimes that's the way that you send a message that it is like a it's an issue that is worth losing a check over I mean that's so admirable I think for anyone listening especially when you're in the position to do that as well because obviously you know if you need if you need to take that check we don't judge but at the same time 100 100%, 100 strength in standing strong with that as casting directors we have a big responsibility to society you know and we have to understand like certain choices that we make or if we're involved in a project sometimes you have to 
question certain decisions. And I think that bravery gets commend, uh, commended in the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, you may refuse a check or someone might be like, well, just why don't you just cast a black person or a brown person for this? But as Ray alluded to, and as I said earlier, you've got to look at the nuances and the deeper meanings of why you're doing certain things. And when you're researching the product or what, when you're researching the idea, the creative idea or the service that they're trying to sell, you have to see how things match up. And if it doesn't match up to you and you're questioning it yourself, you as a cast member are probably not going to be able to cast that, that uh, product or service effectively or to the best of your ability because, number one, you don't believe in it. And if you don't, you should definitely challenge individuals. I guess for me, where it's a bit different in the film and TV space is that, especially in the short film space, there are opportunities that you sometimes have, depending on how close you are with the producer or director that you're working with, where you can be like, "Mm, I'm not really sure if that makes sense, you know, and you can kind of put a question mark on something and, and challenge them to make a decision. And and I think that's really, really important. And, I, and it's great to hear Ray say what she's just said, because it's good to hear more casting directors think along those lines. For sure. So the British TV and film industries have laid out diversity standards over the recent years, whether it's the British Film Institute and the BBC with their schemes that they launched in 2019. Although, wildly, the BBC's 50-50 programme only really covered women prior to like the end of last year which is mental but the BFI's diversity standards include you know 50 50 gender balance 20 percent of the cast belonging to an underrepresented ethnic group 10 percent LGBTQ plus um seven percent deaf or disabled we're interested to hear if either of you work to any of these metrics or goals like that like Ola, especially you working more so in the TV and film space, like do you do you look at metrics like that? Yeah, I do definitely look at metrics, but it's more of a, a loose guide, and it it depends on the project sometimes as well. So, mm. for example, a big organisation that you have mentioned, I'm not going to say any name specifically, could say, "Oh, we we are keen for you to kind of follow this this quota," which in in some ways I can understand you know, why it's important, you know, because we want representation. We want to represent everyone in society. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, it's putting some sort of a thin barrier around your ability to to stretch the casting or challenge the casting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it's it's interesting. There's been a lot of initiatives that or suggestions by these companies that have come out in recent times. Channel 4 have have recently uh, put something out. Carmel is black to front or, or something like that. Yeah, um, I've, I've seen black to front circulating on socials over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, and and for me, it's like, okay, what's the real intention here? What's the wider intention? Are you are you really looking to give opportunities to these people? Um, how do we how do we justify that these things are actually happening or validate these things are actually happening? And um, when you're behind behind the scenes, you see a lot of things and. It's, it's sometimes a bit challenging to talk about on a podcast because you don't want to um, share too much information. But generally speaking, in terms of the metrics, I just feel they're there. I think a lot of people would use it as a, as a guide to inform their casting. If you are working on a project for one of these big organizations, then yes, they may say we must hit this quota. And to be honest, it's, it's a bit of a weird position to be in. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
a bit of a weird one. I'm not Quote sure. Quote is really a bit of a like... dirty word, isn't it? Like yeah, it does. I, it makes me it. feel uncomfortable, generally. But I understand I like it. the need to have some kind of metric or or goal. But society yeah. itself, you know, isn't as formulaic, so it's hard to like. I imagine yeah. stick to a formula. It's such a kind of like yeah, formulaic, unnatural, like almost like sort of scientific attempt to mm. mirror society and it's a real shame that we need it because <laughs> I don't think it's um I don't think it's very sort of human over the last two to three years there's been a lot of changes in terms of executives at these places so like you're starting to see progressive changes where I think that will have more of an impact in um changing the way casting could be done or just employability and representation. And then the language will also improve slowly but surely. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's the key thing here, you know, giving out quotas, but, you know, someone who's perhaps not from your background or doesn't understand the impact certain words could have, saying, oh, we should do this, we should do that. I think I think that's it's very old school, you know. It's, it's, it's very draconian, in my opinion. I think changing and, and having representation at board level at executive Mm -hmm. level with HODs. These are the things that are going to improve things widely and accelerate us perhaps just doing better with with the work that we do. So for me, I'm just keen to see more of that. And it's slowly happening. It's not where it needs to be, but it it is happening slowly. You're right. And Ray, obviously in the fashion and beauty industries, I don't think they have anything standard like these quotas. So how do you ensure that the work you do is broadly representative of the world that we live in? Well, I mean, I think, you know, one thing I will say is that I definitely come from a really privileged point of view, having grown up in London, where my view of the world is diverse. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm never working to a formula. I'm always just trying to basically reflect the world that I see. You know, even I was thinking it was really interesting. After June last year, I would have clients come to me or I had a client come to me and say that they wanted to use only people of color and it was very like for this one we want to use only people of color and I think that that you know really speaks to a misunderstanding about what it means to really cast fairly Mm -hmm. and one thing that I think I really stick to is that you know no matter what the brief is I'm always sharing the sort of same level of diversity and different faces and I think that for me that is one of the ways that I've tried to keep things you know as um, diverse as possible because in that instance that client then asked to not see any white people and that that was a job that I didn't end up doing for that reason but it kind of in my mind, it almost felt like they were saying, you know, don't put any white people in because if they were in there, we wouldn't be able to resist casting them, you know? And I think right. what what I wanted and what I want for my clients to understand is that I want them to look at this range of very beautiful human beings and, and choose like who really feels right, who they feel is just like really, you know, really speaks to their brand identity and their brand morals which means that those identities and morals need to change and that higher-ups need to change so that reflecting that brand becomes naturally diverse 
so yeah, I would say that it's, you know, it's always, 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 always showing as many different faces as possible and making sure that even if people are trying to kind of like slim you down into one direction that I'm still sharing the people who I believe should be confirmed. What kind of briefs do you get? Like, do you, um, I suppose in order for you to be able to offer a, a diverse range of talent, what briefs are you responding to that allow you to do this? I guess a kind of easy example is like, say in the music video, like Sphere, in the promo Sphere, you know, quite often I'll do like a, say like a cast of girl friends. And that's a really nice opportunity always to show a group of girlfriends that I recognize. So yeah, I guess that's an example of a brief. I mean, I'm sure that um, this is the same for you all, but at this point, I am pigeonholed for diversity. So it's, you know, not often that I get a brief that is like really trying to veer away from that. Mm -hmm. And I guess that is in some ways like a blessing and a curse. It's harder to push boundaries if people aren't approaching you unless they literally want what you're giving. And I know you mentioned Ray with girls in music videos. Ola, I know you work with a lot of black music artists and a lot of them have recently come under fire for not having dark-skinned girls in their music videos. Do you take this into consideration when casting and do you think there's kind of any truth behind that? Yes, there's truth behind it. But there's also the other side that people don't see where a lot of artists that I work with and, and a lot of them are international artists and, and, and when a brief comes through, they will specifically say, I want a dark skin lead. Like, it's genuinely a term that I hear very often. Wow. And, and yeah, and uh, I'm being dead honest with this. And, and this, was, this is with a lot of major artists. Um, they specifically say, I want a dark skin lead. And we'll send a range of options, you know, um, because when you're, when you're casting, you, even though someone gives you a specific brief, you also want to kind of give them the option of, oh but you might like this as well Mm -hmm. you know just to make them think differently but it will usually come back with a no I want to ask you lead you know which which is I guess something good um that's good to hear for a lot of people um because I know previously there was a massive stigma around oh all lead girls in a music video would be a light-skinned girl or a mid-race girl or a white girl you know or someone with just a lighter skin tone Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it it has. I'm not. I can't speak for everybody, but the artists that I have worked with, honestly, that is a common quote, you know, which is which is good to hear, you know, and, and they're conscious of representing all types of skin tones within our community. That's um, great to hear. And then, Ray, commercially, you know, having a light-skinned black or mixed race woman, man or child has been seen as as the checkbox for diverse casting. Why do you think that is the case? Like often I've been in situations where I might have challenged something for lacking diversity and someone will point out the the one mixed race girl. Yeah. I mean I think it's, you know, unfortunately it's as simple as a proximity to whiteness. And, you know, I say that as a mixed Chinese and white person, we see a similar thing happen in Southeast Asian countries, which is Mm -hmm. that, you know, Eurocentric features, Eurocentric faces have always been prioritized. And, you know, I've had my own personal identity crisis being in Southeast Asia and realizing that everyone in advertising looked 
more for example like me than they did look like my mum mm. and I think that it that exists here too I mean I think it's 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 colorism and it's it's just this world really slowly adapting to a reality that they really should be able to adapt to much faster. Recently, we've seen actors of colour playing roles that kind of been historically written for Caucasian characters and obviously historical figures. So as such as Gemma Chan as Mary Queen of Scots and Jodie Turner-Smith as Anne Boleyn, where they were kind of colourblind casted for these roles, which has obviously caused quite an uproar on social media. Um, Ray, in fashion and beauty, do you get a chance to kind of cast in the same manner? And have you ever been or have you ever put forward somebody for a position that's been a person of color and they've been rejected as their race didn't match kind of like the overall direction and look and feel of a production I mean there's a difference between color blindness and color blind casting because I think color color blind casting is you know ultimately is not color blind it's pointed mm-hmm. in its use you know it's it's making a point and the way that I feel about color blindness is completely different because I think that it's color blindness can be a great excuse um Mm. for not really like learning and unlearning but yeah I guess as a street cast casting director I've been fortunate in that sense to be able to colorblind cast almost historically over the last 10 years in advertising I guess it's slightly different I mean we we saw like the uproar last Christmas about say like the Sainsbury's advert that depicted the black family and the gravy and then led to like Tesco's pulling a black couple from their like mm. love stories campaign. So yeah, I mean, I think, you know, more so in advertising is where you would run into something like that because fashion generally is not really, I mean, it's not casting for such specific roles. It's more like, you know, in some ways you get a, a lot more kind of freedom. And I think actually it's when it, it comes to to film, TV, advertising and actually playing roles that that yeah, you have the opportunity to kind of play with the boundaries of what a character is described as. Do you ever have it with, because I suppose, um, especially the big global fashion houses, they almost do have quite a formulaic way of um, casting their global campaigns, thinking about different markets. Is that something that you ever have had to manage or deal with at all? And thinking about... um, what happened last year with John Boyega and Joe Malone, where they completely yeah. removed him from yeah. um, the campaign, the advertising campaign for the Asian market, but they kept his story mm-hmm. the same, but just replaced him with <coughs> someone, a local talent. Yeah. I mean, I, I have definitely heard of things like that happening with big fashion houses, you know, hitting markets in that way. I've, I have had to hit markets in terms of, um, say, finding someone who's representative for an Asian market, a Southeast Asian market, and, and seeing that, seeing that colorism at work, you know, through those conversations, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly in beauty, you know, beauty is such a, like, there's such a kind of like difficult and dark side of beauty, because because of colorism and because of the kinds of products and things that oh, could exist to um to uphold that kind of ideal. I suppose a seemingly quick solution for diversity in fashion film and TV is is the idea of the single race casting. So we obviously saw that in Crazy Rich Asians and then in the fashion industry we see that 
quite frequently I'm thinking Pier Paolo's first couture show for Valentino which was an all-black cast you know it has also been criticized for either playing on stereotypes or even fetishization is there a way that these castings can be positive Ola you mentioned earlier about how sometimes these stereotypes actually just do exist in society. I don't, I don't think there's uh, an, an issue with single-race casting. Um, I think sometimes it can have a, a massive impact globally if you have a single-race casting. I think it's quite interesting to see if it's done well. Also, it's important to understand the atten- intentions behind it. And mm-hmm. I don't, I, it, for, in the fashion world, I can't, I can't really speak for it because that's not really my lane. But in in the music promo world or in the in the in the film and TV world, it's it's not something I haven't seen before. And 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 sometimes, you know, when you get a a briefing and you see, oh, okay, all you've cast is just, I don't know, black people for this project. You might not notice until the end when you're watching it and you're thinking, oh, there's, there's you know, there's, there's only black people in, in in this project, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that if if it's done if it's done correctly. But then there's an argument for the other side where it's like, okay, is there a lack of representation from 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 this group here? Mm-hmm. You know, which is an interesting and wider discussion I guess people could have. Yeah, I mean, from the fashion side, I have to say, you know, I feel like those instances where houses get called out for fetishization. The issue is that it's like when you're casting someone, if they arrive on set and nobody else on set and nobody else in the company looks like them or, you know, or understands them, then there is 100% an element of fetishization, even if it's only one person. So then if you see a house that, you know, maybe has like a, an executive team that is white doing a single race cast, I think that the discomfort is for a reason. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there wouldn't be a question about fetishization if there were people in the executive seats who looked like the cast. They wouldn't be asking that question. There wouldn't be any wondering. In some ways, I think it's kind of a bit of a lazy statement almost. What is in the single... <laughs> race cast as a lazy statement or as in like I think it can be I think the single race cast as you know say for a show like it can be I think I remember seeing a picture maybe it was um for Giacomo who perhaps I will never work with for having said this where they had (laughs) you know got kind of turned into a meme where it was essentially like this is the cast this is the team oh yeah and it's like all POC and and all white and you know that doesn't sit right with me. I don't know if it sits right with you guys, but I think that's for a reason. I think as people of colour, we can imagine being like a fly on the wall in that room and hearing how that is talked about. I've overheard conversations before where someone has proposed a black model or an Asian model or whatever, and the someone else, a white person, obviously, has said, oh no, we should be careful about doing that because we might look like we're being tokenistic. And it's like, yeah, that's your mindset. I think that (laughs) particularly in fashion, there's a really thin line between celebration and, and commodification. Like Mm -hmm. you're always towing this really, really thin line. So that's the moment where you have to be really thoughtful and think, is this a genuine celebration or is this, 
us actually, in a sense, dehumanizing a body to use for our gain because we for want to portray this idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Like using diversity as, as a disruption is problematic in itself, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've got one big question that we ask our guests at the end of every episode. Um, and I think, in fact, Ola, we're going to go with you first. Um, the question is, when did you first realise that you were beautiful? <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a great question. And uh, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out the most humblest way to answer this question. Just um, be yourself, man. <laughs> Mr. Jellof, just speak it. Just <laughs> let it out from... Oh, my God. Um... <laughs> I was born this way. I was born this way. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I came flying out of the womb. No, um, I guess it's when you you learn to accept who you are and you appreciate the person that you are, the person that you've become. For me, that's when I I accepted that I am beautiful and um, I fully love myself and the person that I am becoming. It's all great to to talk about uh, beauty in a physical sense but just being holistic and, and just connected with yourself to, you know, and, and being anchored in, in where you come from to understand where you're going, I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing in itself. So that's how I answer that question. Nice. And succinct as well. Impressive. I think that it's probably more recent. Um, I think in the last couple of years, like my relationships with my siblings has made me feel very beautiful. I think just seeing them grow and be so beautiful and so smart and then to know that to the outside world they probably resemble them in some ways and yeah I think it's beautiful to just know them and to look like them and yeah this is just a an added question but like how has your journey um through like self-acceptance of your own beauty also influenced your own work in any way or has it even? I think that it's definitely influenced my writing um, more so than my casting I think just the kind of knowledge that you know your truth and your individuality and all of the experiences that you've been through and your vulnerability could connect with people is really beautiful and I think as a young person particularly as a young woman there's a real pressure to feel look be pristine and you know it's really true what they say like as you get older you really do realize like how beautiful all of those things that maybe you really disliked about yourself um are when I was about I would say 13 my mum when she realized that how how I would look physically she said you will always be an easy target, right? And me being a, a big black male navigating in the creative industry is a challenge in itself because as a as a casting director, I'm sure uh, where you can allude, there's not really many people that look or sound like me, you know. And and just kind yeah, of going sure. through those challenges of breaking this, you know, the stereotype of someone saying, oh. What are you here for? Are you are you are you security? Are you, mm. you a bouncer? Are you, you know, like and just making people think that no, I'm I'm actually a head of department here, and and being able to carry myself with dignity, respect, and uh, and honesty as a as a as a black man that's representing a lot of our community in 
in the industry is, is vitally important to me and, and plays a vital role because just because of where I came from, you know, and many people just think, you know, that I don't really think understand that journey that I've gone through. So mm-hmm. when I see another male that, that may look like me, instead of kind of paying him in a certain way or thinking that he doesn't have emotions because he's a big black male, I think mm-hmm. it's, it's really important. I have to treat him how I treat other people and understand that he's a human being first. And that's just mm-hmm. the way I would like to be treated. You know, I don't need to sound like everybody else or walk and talk like everybody else in order to be treated with respect. At the end of the day, I know I'm good at what I do. And I know I bring mm-hmm. value anywhere I go. So, yeah, that's how it's simple my journey. Honestly, I hadn't even thought about this. Like your stature and your blackness, I imagine has must often feel like somewhat of a threat. And a natural response to that, as people of colour, I think, we're very used to feeling like we have to actually make ourselves smaller and softer to fit into these spaces. So hearing from you that you're just like, I'm just walking in as myself, but I'm a human being with feelings is so important. Yeah, Yeah. and uh, I I I feel like it's something that's not spoken about enough um, because not many people can view it from my lens, mm-hmm. if you understand what I mean. So it's just another day or, you know, that, that stereotype that people have in their head or the labels that they will attach to, to an individual that looks like myself can sometimes be very frustrating because I want you to treat me how you treat someone else. Mm-hmm. And I can have in-depth discussions too. I don't want to just talk about fighting, boxing and football. Let's talk about the other side of things as well. Let's talk about creativity, sensitivity, vulnerability, all of these things. And, you know, I think for me, it, the, the mission is wider than just casting, you know, is challenging how people think about individuals, challenging mm-hmm. how people think about people from my community, how black businesses are run how black casting agencies are run, how how uh, my brothers and sisters navigate through the industry, treat them with respect, pay them equally. You know, one thing that we haven't spoken about here is, you know, when we have the challenge of briefs coming in and you notice that white talent get a certain fee and black talent get a certain fee, which is a big issue for me. And, you know, we don't really, we don't really discuss those type of things. And how does my role impact that or what can I say to change that you know and yeah I think there's there's so much depth around you know stereotypes and labels in in our roles within the industry that is, is quite untapped and we really need to unravel and change the the, the perceptions around it um so hopefully yeah, that can change even in the future Wow, that was very moving. (laughs) I mean, I just wanted to add that I think that um, two things, I mean, as as casting directors, you know, one of the things I think that we're trying to do is to create the world that we or that people that we care about see people that we don't know, don't care about, but everyone needed as a kid like what was who was the person that you needed to see as a kid to confirm your worth and you couldn't see and the other thing is to to award everyone the possibility to be any type of person you know to award like you know my brother to like not have to be like good at maths or Mm -hmm. you know sometimes things like crazy rich Asians you know 
although I have to say I think I cried watching it just from the point of view of seeing so many people on such a big screen who look like my family members but also you know is massively problematic because it depicts Asian people in one way and then you know that is the way that millions of people continue to believe that people are so yeah I think that all that we really want is to award everyone the chance to be any type of person good bad ugly whatever and to create the things that you know we wished we'd had love that brilliant and the very very last question where can we find you on the internet and do you have any upcoming projects that you want to let our listeners know about so on the internet you can find me for work you can find me at on instagram at ray element casting for selfies you can find me at ray chen element um and do i have any exciting projects coming up I just did a video for Mimi Webb, a singer that just came out. And I have an exciting video coming out uh, with The Stack, which is Sharma Dean Reed's magazine, mm-hmm. um, which I'm very, very excited about. So any day now. <laughs> we'll look out for it. And Ola, what about you? Um, you can find me at Ola Christian across socials. You can also go on my website www.followchristian.com very simple <laughs> also on social media you can follow Laville TV in terms of projects uh, that we've got coming up um, recently done music videos for Steph London Get to round off his uh, Conflict of Interest album campaign we've also got one with Miss Banks in terms of short films just wrapped up on two one called Save Me which is directed by Juan Simpson and another short film was directed by Rashida Siraki called Colby. That one should do amazing. I'd like to give a massive shout out to Kareem as well, who's an amazing producer. And yeah. What a lovely conversation. That was also, really, really, really interesting. Yeah, really interesting. I have to say, Ola, thanks for your deep voice. Um, that was the first thing when I listened to this episode. I was like, oh, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that caught me off guard a little bit. That I'm not going to lie. Yeah. For sure. Oh, what a great combo, guys. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Jolla. <laughs> but no, if bring a seat to the table was a person, mm. it mm. would be both Ray and mm. Ola. Literally. 100%. 100%. Do you know what I absolutely loved about this conversation was the integrity that both of them showed, but more so sure, Ray. Sure. Like, being able to mm. just walk away from a check like Mm. especially I think people don't often and I also didn't really realize that when you work in casting in the beauty space having that in-depth knowledge about the product that you're trying to you know cast someone to be the face Mm. of is just amazing and to be able to scrutinize brands for being Mm -hmm. tokenistic Mm -hmm. um is is so admirable at the risk of losing a paycheck yeah, that was definitely my biggest takeaway from the conversation as well. The fact that she was like, if I mention this brand, I might never work with them. But i got to say what I've got to say, which I have so much respect for. Because how do you, you know, how do you move the needle if you don't speak on things? Which, I mean, if you're in the industry as well, this is her industry. So the fact that she very proudly 
stood by her conviction I thought was very admirable so thanks Ray thanks for sharing that with us 100% I was just interested in the whole casting process in general to be completely Mm -hmm. honest with you like it was a real eye-opener for me I mean I understand casting but to have that in-depth knowledge about exactly how it works and also how they both decided that they were going to be a part of the industry mm-hmm. not that either of them actually planned to be a part of the industry it was kind yeah. of but it's something that brought them there just based on who they are their cultures identities mm. and kind of who they know so for me that was really interesting because I like when people kind of fall into their careers yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and I it's agree. not planned got there somehow but also so they're just quite... so good and genuine about it you yeah. know when Ray talks yeah. about you know receiving briefs that are group of girlfriends and her instant thought is let me cast some girlfriends that are the kind of friendship <laughs> groups that yeah, I'm used I like to that. seeing yeah yeah I, I want to cast but I want to see for the stack for the stack world is it somebody in stack world stack group mm, um stack the new world, casting yeah. that Ray's just done in terms of yeah. it's all of Sharmadine's friends and kind of contacts yeah. in the actual video and you can yeah, see the blossoming yeah. friendships and how people have met each other and communicated with each other it's really cool yeah yeah She's great. They're both great. And I think I think that's the thing with casting, as like we said at the top of the conversation um, in the intro, it's it's actually a really, really big part of all advertising and all marketing. And you have to take it quite seriously. It's a role that's like really important in the industry. Yeah. In all industries, whether we're talking about film, whether we're talking about beauty, whether we're mm-hmm. talking about fashion. You know, mm-hmm. these are the people who are essentially in charge in either depicting society as a reality or creating some kind of fantasy and if the reality isn't representative if the fantasy isn't representative like both of which have potential you know quite negative impacts on underrepresented communities Mm -hmm. yeah I mean to be honest as a as having directed um, a few campaigns where I had to cast people from underrepresented communities and being in the fashion industry as a stylist, obviously having to cast models. I've, I've been on the other side of it and it can be a pretty brutal industry because you're picking you're picking people based on what they look like. That's that's the entire industry, mm-hmm. as awful as it sounds. But you have to be quite honest about it. And especially in this day and age, post-BLM, it's, um, it's a lot bigger and a lot more of a responsibility than we think it is. Yeah, agree. But anyway, guys, last night I watched the Nas documentary. I don't actually know the title, but it was a documentary about Nas, the the rapper, on um, Netflix, which I actually really enjoyed. Didn't think I would enjoy. It was a nice biop. I really liked watching a biop about someone's life who wasn't dead, so they could talk about their own life for a change, which I thought was quite nice. They could Ooh, just reflect on where themselves. Where is it on Netflix? Like, did you say on Netflix? Yeah. I don't know this documentary. Yeah, yeah it's called Time is Illmatic, which is obviously the name of his um, album. <laughs> Anything you've been watching, Katie? Well, Anything you've been reading? Apart mm. from Line of Duty, I did end up watching, is it Leanne Pinnock's mm. documentary? Mm-hmm. Is it Race, Pop and Culture or some Power, mm-hmm. something like that? Power On BBC. Culture, yeah. And do you know yeah. what? When I first heard about it, I was like, hmm. Don't know how this one's gonna go down, but you know mm-hmm. what? It was actually really good, and I really, I really, so really I her agree. For doing it. Oh yeah, my I god! Think. I was literally like, "What is at the end of it? What is the damage control off the back of this documentary?" Yeah, I yeah. was. I suppose from a publicist's point of view, I was just like, "She has really opened herself up to scrutiny." Mm-hmm. I thought the mm-hmm. conversation that she had with her um, fiance mm-hmm. was so 
well done. So, mm-hmm. so well, well done. done. I also liked hearing from Jade. I'd like to hear from her bandmate about her <gasps> history and her. Gr- I didn't know that she <gasps> had a Muslim grandparents. I had no idea that no, she was Arab. You guys. Yeah, I knew she was Arab. I just didn't know her history. She's so I really enjoyed that. I really liked hearing about her as well. It was nice too. I'm surprised that uh, the only thing I say I would have liked is to hear from Perry as the white girl mate, just to hear what how, what her perception would have been. Um, mm. But other than that, I understand why she wasn't included though, because I think I mean it wasn't about her, to be honest. No. And I think that it was clear that she was supportive of Leanne. Yeah. But she didn't need to take space in this documentary. The moment with Jade and Leanne, when they were sat on the balcony and Jade was like, I'll go in that meeting with you. I was literally like welling up. I was just like, oh my God. Because I think we all have that experience as Mm -hmm. people of colour, whether you're in the workplace or wherever, where you have that one ally who they might not even be the same race as you, but they are another person of color and the two of you are just like you go through it together even though your experiences might be different and that was just something that was super super relatable to me but I loved it was great loved the documentary and I agree Kadeen I was the same like when it first was announced I was like oh what is this and there was a lot of chat on Clubhouse about it there was and I think that's the thing everyone was judging it judging it before it come out I do have mm-hmm. to say I'm Friday I'm hosting the RTS charity We're t- I'm talking to the exec producers the director and the researcher um, about the documentary and how they made it and what I found out while prepping for that is that the director is actually her childhood best friend and first time director she's never directed before and yeah so it's her director who knew the story and was like I want to do this which actually, for me, when I found out, when I found that out, made it a little bit more special. Because that's why she was so open, because she was sharing it with her best friend. Yeah, so really nice. Well done, them. Yeah, I agree. So well done. And massive guts. Massive guts yeah. to her. Yeah, for Like, sure. airing for sure. her record company the way that she did. I was just like... Because wow. I would have been cussing them mm. on the big, big yeah. BBC. Well done, her. All right, guys. I think it's time to wrap. We've got a very exciting episode coming up which we're very excited to share with you i guess until then yep until next time adios the unbrave podcast is hosted by chi yufudiyama and basma khalifa produced by kadeen bissett and ayo sule our artwork was created by Zenya Geller and soundtrack by Enoch Kolo. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, make sure you've subscribed on your chosen podcast listening platform. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, don't forget to rate us so more people can find us. And follow us on at Unpretty Podcast on Instagram and Twitter for more updates. Until next time.